Good morning, church. How are we today? Are we good? Woo! It's good to see you. It's good to be in Texas. We love Texas. You can drive fast here. Really fast. You know, we're slowed down to like 65 in, in Illinois, but that's another story. But hey, it is so good to be here. We love your sunshine. We love your open spaces. We love your welcomes. Your welcomes are incredible. We always feel so welcome when we come down here. Danielle Flanagan and I tripped down uh, about three years ago in May for Mother's Day, and I got to uh, uh, chat with y'all and give a message then, and we just, we felt so loved, and that connection has never uh, stopped, and we've stayed in communication with uh, Nathan, but that was not the first time we met Nathan. We actually met Nathan on a trip to Brazil in 2014, and that was where the connection was made, and so uh, kind of the Spirit of God just really fell on all of us, and we actually experienced a, amazing things while we were in Brazil, and it was a life-changing experience for all of us. So we just actually welcome those times in our lives where there's a shift in things. And let me tell you, there were some things that happened yesterday that were definitely a shift. Uh, we were here to do a Freedom Conference, and I'm here with my two friends, Daniel Flanagan and Kimberly Weber in the back, and we're a part of a team called uh, Sparkling Brooks Ministries. And what we love to do is just to pull out the gold in you and show you your destiny ahead of you and release you into that through presence ministry. And that presence ministry is actually being in the presence of Jesus. And when you are uh, experience that and you can actually sit in his midst and hear what he has to say over you, um, it changes everything. I'll never forget the first time I was at Kimberly's home in doing so and I actually heard I actually had a conversation, you know, in, in my sanctified imagination with the Lord, and it changed everything about how I felt and how I experienced him. And so in that, um, I've been on a process of healing. She's on, been on a beautiful journey of healing. So is Danielle uh, back there. But Kimberly in particular has also written a book that you'll see on that back corner, and it's called Jesus and Me. And so yesterday, she was able to teach about inner healing uh, and we actually taught as a team about identity, um, kingdom of God. We taught about forgiveness. We taught about triggers. Uh, she taught about inner healing. And then we finished up the day with um, doing some things, talking about how the spirits can kind of mess with us, the bad ones, right? And she has a book available. And I would just, uh, I know I forgot to bring it, so that's why I said Danielle's got it in her hand back there. I meant to bring it up here. And she would love to give anyone or someone a book in here. So is there anyone who would be brave enough to raise a hand that says, I've had some stuff going on in my life right there. You already did. And he needs to walk through it. So there you go. Perfect. There's nothing like a road to recovery because when you come out of that recovery state, you actually begin to know who you really are in Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, the girls and I have had, um, we have kind of similar stories in ways but not. We all each obviously have different stories. And there was stuff in my childhood that was not pretty, that really put a hammer on me as a child. And, um, and it was just, a, it was a dark place. And to be able to come out of that dark place, I never spoke a word to it to anyone until I was in my 40s. I literally never said it out loud to an adult. I never told my parents. My parents both died, went to their graves never knowing that their daughter had been um, abused. Uh, in not so sweet ways, and I walked through that, and it 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 changed my life. Being able to bring those things up into the light of God, and to get healing for those things, and this book will help you no matter what has happened in your life. It'll help you walk through those experiences. 
So if you don't, if you weren't the one who received the free book, I would recommend if, if the Lord's tinging at your heart right now, like tapping at it, going, hey, get the book. I would recommend you get that book, okay? Yes, ma'am. It's called Jesus and Me, and it's right back there. There's this lovely, you'll get the book, good. I'm so glad to hear it, all right? So here we are this morning, though. We're off on another adventure, and so every time we give a lesson, every time um, I speak, you really, I go to the Lord first and say, what do you want to say to the church? What do you, because it's different everywhere you go, right? And so the Lord specifically gave me this message for you. And when I ran it by Nathan, he said, oh my gosh, he goes, that is absolutely perfect. And I said, okay. And then you feel, the, you feel that confirmation come over and you go, okay, we can do this, all right? So I'm also going to tell you that I am not the softest, sweetest speaker in the land. I'm not going to give you the feely good. You're going to go home and go, oh, wasn't that nice? I am the Enneagram 8. I will challenge you. I'm not here to make your life sweet and pretty. I am here to challenge you into the things of Jesus. I'm here to maybe get under, under your skin just a little bit to give you that nudge. And what I'm asking, though, is that you'll just allow Holy Spirit to do that, not me. All right? We're going to speak some great truth over you today. I'm going to challenge you in some ways. And I would just ask you to open up your heart and your life to what the Lord wants to do. Because there's a narrative being played out right now that he's inviting you into. And it's really, really important. All right? So let's take a look. I also feel like you have to be Bible-based. We have got to go from the Word of God because that's the truth. There's a lot of people say they have truth out there, but this book, this is where the truth is at, right? This is it. And what's so beautiful about this book is that we can find ourselves in this book. I find myself in, in several places in it. There are very significant places I've found myself in it, and I've had an experience with the Lord. I feel like literally I was that woman that he knelt down. Have you ever, how many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Have you seen the movie? If you've not seen the movie, I would highly recommend you get a chance to see that because it's, it, it it's powerful. And when you see Jesus draw the line in the sand, there's a, there's a scene there. And he draws that line in the sand for the woman, and her hand comes over, and she's in the dust grappling, and she gets a hold of Jesus. The Lord showed me specifically that that was me. And I was reaching for him, and he pulled me up out of the dirt, out of the mess. And he actually looked into my eyes and told me who I was. I didn't have to listen to what the crowd was telling me or what I thought authorities were telling me. He looked in my eyes and told me who I was. And from that moment on, I moved forward. It's a really special thing if you allow him just the moment to speak into you and tell you who you really are. Because there's a call on every one of your lives. Your call may not be to stand on this stage. It may not be drumming. And it may not be singing a song. But your call may be to be, um, bring actually Jesus to what you're doing right now. You could be an attorney. You could be a teacher. You could be a contractor. It doesn't matter. He wants you to bring the kingdom into what you're doing now. The church does not belong inside four walls and that's not even actually what the church is this is the church it's the people and he wants us to go out and touch the other people that don't know the church yet because christians the the outside might not read a bible but they're going to read their christians 
And so my challenge to you today is going to be, are you living in your call? And we'll get to that. Let's take a look at the verse, and we're going to get started. So work with me, okay? I'm actually going to shorten this message from the last one. All right? So we're going to fast forward. Get that picture off there. There you go. All right. This is out of Hebrews. I'm sorry I didn't put the reference in. That was, a, uh, that was my fault. Forgot to highlight that. Julie's doing a great job. This is Hebrews 12, 1, 3. Yeah. And it's, this, is, this is a great verse because we've got to be reminded, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run the race. Run with endurance the race God has set before us. You see, he's got a race set out. And sometimes we don't feel like we can step into the race because we have stuff going on in our lives. But I'm going to tell you, there's people, there are superstars of the Bible that had all kinds of stuff going on in their lives. We're all in process. I am still in process. I am still in process. I have not arrived, and I don't plan on arriving until I hit the pearly gates someday. Right? But until then... I have to submit my heart to the Lord and allow him to work in me, his will and his way, and to move me from the place of glory to glory to glory. I'm supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I hope I don't grow the beard. Got it? And you are too. Okay, let's take a look. What we want to do is we want to find ourselves in this story. So I'm actually going to take us to a story that you know very well. I'm going to take you to David. All right, so we're going to start in the book of Samuel. And we know that David's kind of a superstar of the Bible, right? I laugh and say if we went into a conference room and we knew that we were walking into a conference room filled with um, biblical heroes, he would probably be one of the ones that I would run up with my little autograph book and I would say, would you please autograph this, right? Or better yet, can you just put your hand right here and could you anoint me, right? Can you pray for me, right? And so we know that he's kind of that superstar. And we put him on this pedestal of a man um, after God's very own heart. But David's life wasn't easy. He didn't get to be king of, of Israel like that. That's not how it happened. There was a lot of difficulty that he had to deal with. So as we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel, or you can open your smartphone to 1 Samuel 16.1. You see, Saul... Um, just wasn't doing his kingly job the way he should have been doing it. And the prophet Samuel was grieving the situation. The Lord was about to, um, to move Saul out of the picture and actually call up a new king. And so here's where we start at in 1 Samuel 16.1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So Samuel does just that and treks off to Bethlehem. And because he could be killed, if Saul finds out that the prophet of God is coming actually to anoint another king, not a, probably a task that Samuel is real excited about, but he'll do it. He instead sets the stage for a sacrifice to the Lord and invites Jesse and his family to the ritual. The word of God continues in saying, and starting with verse 6, that when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord judges the heart. He looks at the heart, actually. And upon reprimand, Samuel listened carefully to the Lord as each of Jesse's sons stepped forward and walked before Samuel. 
for inspection. Yet Samuel knew the Lord had not chosen any of them, and he asked, Hey, Jesse, you got any more kids? Jesse replies. He says, Oh, yeah, there's the youngest, but he's out in the field. Um, he's tending the sheep and the goats. Well, Samuel says, Send for him at once. We'll not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. I'll change that. He was dark, handsome, or beautiful with beautiful eyes just like you. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So David stood among his brothers, and Samuel took the flask of oil that he had brought, and he anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David that day. And then Samuel returned. He went back to the fields. There it is. He got his call. Out of nowhere came the call. And sometimes you feel the same way. You're like, out of nowhere, the Lord calls you up to something. You're like, what? Huh? What just happened? Here, I'm dripping. He's dripping with oil. He's like, okay, got to go now. <laughs> but something happened to David in that moment. And I'm going to tell you, there's a the timeline being set that the, the Lord is releasing but there's also this timeline that's being set that the enemy is watching. Can you imagine what happened to David after that? He went back out to the field to do his thing, but yet, I'm going to tell you, he probably had to step into some therapy appointments. If he, if, if someone needed a therapist, it was probably David. There's this kingdom call that'll come, and then the enemy's going to come, and he's going to try to tear it off of you. He's going to try to get in the, in the way of anything that the Lord wants to get done, right? Have you ever had uh, something that you know that the Lord wants you to do? And even in the very own heart, even fear will rise up? That's from the enemy because he wants to stop you from the kingdom purposes that the Lord has. Even if it was just to pick up the phone and call someone to check on them, he'll throw you a distraction to not get it done. Have you ever actually picked up the phone in obedience and made the phone call or made the text? And the person said, oh my gosh, how did you know I needed to hear from you? Right? Well, you didn't know. It was the Lord that prompted you to do it. Right? So imagine what he's got going on right now. He's got this whole, there's been a whole shift in what is going on in David's life. An entire shift is happening. I laugh and say that he probably needs counseling. He probably needs counseling because he went back out. His brothers don't think he's all that, do they? His dad didn't think so. Why didn't he have him come in the first round, right? Can you imagine how the enemy comes in and twists all those things and begins to work on David? But there was something that happened in the moment. There's something really, really important that happened. And in that moment, David had a prophecy put on him. Now, prophecy is an interesting word, and we have to use it, we have to, we have to uh, tender it gently. Because if you're not um, familiar with the term, it can be a little freaky. It can be a little weird to you. But I'm going to tell you that prophecy can be a very safe thing. In fact, it's a beautiful thing of God that builds the church and edifies the church. So there's lots of different things that fit into the category of prophecy. 
I can have a prophetic word over someone, and it can be a, a sweet word that actually pulls the gold up out of someone. The Lord can show me something in someone, and it'll pull the gold out, and it'll say, look, look what I see in you. Because what I'm doing is I'm actually using the eyes, I've, I'm placing myself with the Lord. He's giving me the eyes of heaven into that person. I would invite you, if you haven't gotten a prophetic word over your life, to get with some safe people that hear the Lord and allow them to speak the beautiful truth of what heaven thinks of you. Because our view of ourselves gets very skewed on earth, right? And there's something about those words that come from those mouths that, that if we're listening to the Lord and the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is telling me something and he tells me to land that word on you, guess what rides on the word? The Spirit. It goes right in and it opens up your heart and it lands and it begins to nest. Nothing comes back void when it comes from, the, from God, right? We know the Word of God does not come back void. I'm going to tell you that if we're actually really hearing the Lord and you receive that Word, it's not going to come back void. It's going to shift something in you and it's going to change. You see, David's life changed. He, here's how I want to explain prophecy to you. In this, in this framework of what happened to David, there's a timeline that the Lord has set up. You see, David might be over here, but the Lord knows David's entire timeline. Don't you wish you knew your timeline sometime? Wouldn't that, it'd be so easy to make your vacation plans and, and to your budgeting. It would be so great to know all the things that were going to happen throughout this timeline. He doesn't do that because it would be too easy. We wouldn't trust him in the process if he did, Right? But what he'll do is he'll take somebody over here and he'll, he'll put something out here and he's going to show them who he's going to be. Who he's called to be. Gideon had the same thing on his life. He kept arguing with the Lord and saying that he was the, the lowest of the low of the tribes. David from the family of Jesse, now has a call on his life that he is going to be the king of Israel. In comes the family. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> How's that going to work out? Does dad believe it? We don't know. Those, all those details are not written in here. But if, has anybody, have you dreamt something big before? And someone spoke it down? That's what I say when he probably needed a therapist, right? But here's the thing about prophecy. What happens is, is that David now has this prophecy before him. He sees what he's supposed to be. He sees what God intends him to be. He sees the call in his life. But there's a lot of space between here and there. There's a lot of space, and he's young. David cannot jump into the throne room and just jump in. He can't. He can't go take and rip the, the, the crown off of Saul's head. That's not how God does it. It's God's timing. And he has to wait for the timing, to, for, the, actually, for the heavens to manifest in this timeline. He has to wait for it to actually come to earth and manifest. So what does David do? He goes back out in the field. He goes back out. And remember, I want you to see yourself in this story. So I'm going to just ask you some questions. Do you struggle with insignificance? 
How about do you feel like you are the one doing all the menial tasks that you're not seeing? David felt the same way. He wasn't called in from the field on the first roundabout with Samuel. He wasn't called in. His dad did not recognize him as significant. Some of you may have father wounds or mother wounds in this room that need to be taken care of before you can move forward in your call because that, that will hold you back from who you're going to be. Fiery darts might have came, like I said, from those brothers and sisters you might have mocking around you. You may have people that doubt your walk with the Lord. You may go out into the secular world and be in an office where people actually mock who Jesus is. I don't know. I do know that those are real scenarios. And we have to just be very realistic. They can ding our hearts and they can hurt. But who is our Redeemer? It's our Lord Jesus. And we're called into deep relationship with him. And he wants to take care of the wounds of your heart in those areas. And that's what David did. He head back out to the fields. And that's where David found his identity. You know he found himself out of his close-knit relationship with Father God. We've got a slide. Julie, I know I have set, I've moved, I've already pushed past some stuff. I want you to find the one that says, David found himself as he followed God. Many a lonely day in the field turned into worship and prayer sessions with David. His character was actually built in submission and servanthood. And not on the opinions of others. For remember, he was the youngest. I want to tell you I'm the youngest. I do not fit the mold of my family. I am not meant to fit that mold. I was meant to break out of that mold. My call is unlike my siblings. I love them deeply, but they do not understand. And sometimes, they, most of the time, they're probably not going to um, bless what I do. But I forgive that and I love them. I'm working with a friend who gets frustrated. She's, uh, she works with special needs on a very broad base. And she has this huge vision for what she wants to do. She's actually going to be buying our business. And alongside that business, she has apartment buildings that are right beside my business. They have a um, strip mall that's right beside our business. And they're buying the entire thing because she has a son with autism, and she knows her son needs a safe place. She's not going to outlive him because he's perfectly healthy, but he needs a safe place, and because the government's not taking care of it, right, she says, we're going to do this, and they are creating. She has this vision for the housing and the workplace, so they can be housed, they can have a workplace in our business and work side-by-side -side with job coaches, and then they can have a community center. Isn't that incredible? So the, the frustration piece that will run up, she'll run up against sometimes that people don't understand. We've laughed. We've been in the car many times driving. And I go, I, and it was from the Lord. It's not me. I go, I get the same way about some things, especially about kingdom, about moving things forward, right? So we've got more to do. We have more to do on the face of the earth. I have so much more probably a sense of expediency on my heart and urgency on my heart now than I've ever felt. And it has nothing to do with my task list. It has everything to do with the kingdom list. 
There's a world that is hurting so bad that needs us to bring kingdom to earth, the heavens to earth. We've got, we are the conduit. We are the transfer, and we've got to deliver it. And she feels the same way. And in that space, we, we both go, when we come up and get that frustration. Because you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get mad. You're going to get, you're going to want to feel offended. But you can't. You cannot live in offense. So you go, I go, literally, take a breath and bless. <laughs> right? Because you want to take a breath and go at them like, and you're like, nope. I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to bless them instead. Have Holy Spirit work on that heart and whatever issues they got going on. I cannot let that be a distraction to my kingdom purpose. Right? Well, David did a great job of doing that because he went to the field and he did what he needed to do. You see, character is built in the quiet place. God is your encourager. And God was his guide. But what's amazing is he also gave him that prophecy. You see, he captured his imagination. We call it a sanctified imagination. You know, your imagination can be used for really dark things. That's when the enemy comes in and tries to use a gift from God, and he twists it and contorts it, and he puts it into things it shouldn't be in. Your imagination was meant to be a space of dreaming with the Lord, of spending time with him, and of thinking holy thoughts. I know that may seem way off in left field, but it's not. You're designed that way. Your body can be an instrument for evil or it can be an instrument for good. Your brain and your imagination are part of that instrument. What are you doing? What are you putting in it? David was putting the right things in, but I'm telling you what. The Lord put this prophecy in it. Can you imagine the nine-year-old kid? And I'm going to put it into this context. There's a little boy out here. You play baseball, dude? You play anything? Soccer? Anything? Soccer? Okay, so we can relate. Imagine if you were on the soccer field and I called you in and you came in filthy dirty. You come walking, running in here. And you're like, what? <laughs> you wouldn't say that. You're from Texas. You'd say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah? huh? And I would say, guess what? You are going to the World Cup. And you'd be like, what? That's awesome. And I'm like, you get all the jerseys you want, everything. You get everything. World Cup. You're going to the World Cup. And guess what? You are the team captain. That's what David was going to be. He was going to be king of Israel. He was going to be the captain, right? I can relate to that because I was sports. I get that. I think you can understand that too. So David got pulled off the field. Now, can you imagine he got pulled off that field? And if I told that young man that he was going to go to the World Cup and he was going to be the captain, when he goes back on that field and back into training and playing and doing what he does best and refining his skills, in the back of his head, what is he dreaming about? He's dreaming about the World Cup. All of a sudden, he can see who he's going to be. Do you see it? So that's how this prophetic thing works. If there's a call out on you and the Lord's given you a call, he says, go after the call. Eyes on Jesus, all eyes dead ahead, distraction off to the left or the right. We're going to walk this out together and we're going to get you there. Right? So David's trying to do that. That prophecy, I got a slide for you. Prophecy should shape your decisions, your focus, your motives, and your actions. That's what it should do. That's exactly what it should do. 
Nathan prayed for me in Brazil. 2014, he put something out there for me. It was confirmed by a couple other people, but he put it out there. Now, did I come home from Brazil and jump over here? No, I couldn't. Because you know what? I had some work to do. As we all do, because we're all in process, right? We're all in process. You want to know the fancy word for it? In the, in the Christian lingo word would be sanctification. Yeah, sanctification. He's moving you from glory to glory to glory. Because that's what he does. Yeah? All right. Here's some questions for you. Have you tried to jump ahead without the training? Ooh, it's probably not a good idea, right? Have we jumped ahead? Those, we just need to stop and, and submit to the process. Do you need to learn some skills to get there? He may give you something so far out, you go, I have never done that in my life. Well, you know what? You might want to start learning how to do it if that's the call he has for you. Because guess what? It's also going to be supernaturally powered. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's going to be supernaturally powered. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be competent, equipped, and equipped for every work. We are in training. Secondly, have you submitted? Have you submitted to the process? Do you allow Holy Spirit to actually search your heart for anything that does not come into alignment with him? Are you truly humble and honest before the Lord? Got to get in that raw space. Let me tell you, here's some things I think the church has been going through, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we've watched. We had to go to a place of identity. So for there was a, a, a time period where we actually had to go back to this place of who we were in Christ Jesus, right? Once we figured out who we were and we became comfortable with what the Word of God says about us, then something erupted out of that, and it was this trust thing. All of a sudden, we began to trust what God said about us. Then he moved us into a new season, and I want to say that that new season is then he could go after those things that were not holy. He needed to... You needed to know who you were, and he needed to gain your trust in who he was as a good God, right? I can trust hanging out with a good daddy because he's going to take really good care of me, right? He's looking out for my very best interest. So now when he brings up something that I need freedom from, I can take the breath that's hard, right? Maybe I need freedom from something from my past, Maybe a deep wound, something, we all have them. You did not cross the line, you haven't crossed that line of faith without bringing some baggage with you. Part of the process is getting cleaned up, and he wants to love you through that. And a loving God will allow things to come up that you can handle, and he will walk you through the process. But I'm going to tell you, he's walking you through this process, so then you can become into the space of knowing who you are and walking in your identity. So you knew your identity, but you might not have been walking in it. And all of a sudden, you are free to actually walk in it. You don't have all the baggage to carry with you through life. You can actually be this vessel that flows. And then, in that space, I know I've come to a place where I've, I've stepped now before a holy God 
And there's a deep reverence I felt for the deep teachings of God. And then this urgency has set, set place, has kind of settled in my heart of the things of God that are literally expanding that he needs us to step into because he needs us to step into the timeline and the narrative that's going on. You see, you and I can sit on the sidelines all day long and watch the narrative unfold. We can have excuses for not stepping in, but he's inviting you into the process. Psalm 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to tell you that the Lord did business with me and he continues to do business to me with me. There was a day I stepped aside and I said, all polished up thinking I was all that. And I said, Lord, I think I got this down. And it was control of my mouth. What I was speaking out. We know that the, the tongue can uh, speak life or death, right? I was bringing it into the life. I was, I was making the death stay quiet. I wasn't speaking it. But as soon as I said that, and I am talking about a split second, he let me gloat for about a split second. And then he said, but what about the murmurings of your heart, Stephanie? And I went, oh. And guess what? He's a loving God, though. We need a daddy who will correct us and put us back on this track and keep moving us back, moving us back, moving us back. We'll come off of here. Don't move us back. I like side rails. I really do. Guardrails are good because we can get off track. So he had to go. He had to work on me again. Holy Spirit said, let's start working on the murmurings of your heart, Stephanie. What is it? And what he did is he would show me the murmuring of my heart, what I really thought about something or someone or how I was reacting to something. And you know what I've learned through Freedom Ministries? Go to the root. Ask him. I don't want a patch. I do not want a Band-Aid. I want to be healed. And I learned by trusting God, but I had to know my identity. I had to know who he was. that I could trust him, and we got to that space. And so I started submitting these things to him, and he would take me back to the roots of my thinking and why I was thinking what I was thinking. And you know what happened? The murmurings of the heart that were not holy soon began to dissipate and go away. They had no place in my heart because I had taken care of the wound that they came from. And those are the things. These are the things David probably had to do too. He had to deal with how his brothers probably harassed him and how his dad didn't notice him. He had to deal with wounds just like you and I. He was in process and so are we. Some of you might even feel a sense of injustice rising up right now. And I'm going to tell you something that we don't say in church very often. Religious pride. Who is she to be up there talking about that and making me squirm in my seat? Religious pride can block our ability to fully receive. It can block the ability of a church and community. And I'm not talking about the community outside. I'm talking about the community in this room. Do you know that your brothers and sisters in Christ and your hearts need to be knit together? And do you know that people are going to offend you? They're going to make mistakes. 
but you need to figure out how to get along really well and be kingdom here so that you can take the kingdom out there. It's time for a lifestyle change in the house of God. The world's crying for it. Here's another one for you. While you're in this process, is your relationship with Jesus becoming richer and deeper than ever before, or is it a checklist? I am a checklist person. I love checklists. I think they're incredible. I pretty much live and breathe by them. I own a floral shop, a gift shop, a garden center, and greenhouses. I have a million things to do in any one day. I also am a mother. I am also a wife, and I'm also in ministry. I have a lot to accomplish in one day. At night, I literally empty my head, and I put the list on a piece of paper so that I can sleep at night because I don't want to go to bed with a list in my head. How many of you know that feeling? And you're like, if I just remember this, well, you can't sleep, go write it down. I often say I have filing cabinets in my head. People will look at me and they go, I know you from somewhere, or blah, blah, or do you remember this? And I'll just look at them, and I literally will look at them and say, hold on, let me get to the right filing cabinet <laughs> in my head and open that one up. <clears throat> but these lists we set forth are your lists. I hope your list for spiritual growth is not, don't do the list thing. David spent his time with Father God in the fields. You need to spend your time with the Lord. Get rid of the checklist. doesn't matter how many Bible verses you memorize. It doesn't matter how many small groups you go to. I believe in doing those things, but that cannot be the, the measuring stick for progress. Your measuring stick is actually... Your relationship with Jesus, is it deeper? Do you know him? Are you allowing him to look in your heart? Do you know the heart of God towards things? Do you know the heart of God towards people? Have you ever looked at someone and actually judged them? And then the Lord goes, hey, that's not how I see them. That's important. That's an important lesson. We should be looking at everyone with the eyes of Jesus. If you need to work on that, I had to work on it. This world, world is full of judgment. We're, we are taught to judge and categorize and put people in ups and down places and far apart. Look at what our world looks like. Look at the injustice that's going on. But that's not what God sees. He says, put my eyes on, and I'm going to tell you how I love them and what I see in them. And all of a sudden, you have this incredible appreciation and love for people that you never had. And it's through his eyes. we got to get rid of our checklist. Next, are you showing fruit? That was a good one. Dang it. That Galatians verse. Ah! Galatians 5, 23 tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, forbearance. Nobody wants to do that one. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When I got the whole murmurings of the heart thing down, you know, I walked up and, I, and you come up to the Lord and I go, I think I got it. We're doing good. We're doing great. I, he let me celebrate that one just a tidbit longer, maybe 10 seconds. 
And then he goes, okay, what about those fruits of the Spirit? I was like, dang it. And it's true because it's the Word of God. It's not because Stephanie Ferris says it. It's the Word of God. It says that we are supposed to live in love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can, do you see yourself up there? And if not, go ahead and say, Holy Spirit, I'm not really good at that, or I'm not really good at that. Just even tell them right now, under your breath, say, Lord, will you show me that one? Will you show me how to live that one out? Will you show me, will you erupt that one in me? Because I need your help. Because you know what the word meek means? Blessed are the meek, for they will receive the kingdom of God. Meek is not weak. Meek means that you need Jesus. It has nothing to do with how strong you are. I, used, I had such a conflict with that verse because I have a strong personality, right? I'm boisterous and, and I have this, this strength about me. And I thought, oh, I'm never, you look at that verse and I go, I'm never going to get in the kingdom. If I'm supposed to be meek, I'm going to have to shut it down. Shut it down, Stephanie. Just bring it down. And that's not who God's designed me to be, right? He doesn't want me shut down. And when I understood that it's that I need Him, my meekness is not weakness. It's actually I know my need for Jesus. Do you realize I know my need? That I need help in forbearance. I need help in gentleness at times. I need help in these things, and he's my helper. Holy Spirit's my helper. He set us up for success the entire way. You have your own personal counselor called Holy Spirit. It's biblical. That's who he is. So I finally got through that. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness. I still have to work on some of them daily, right? The enemy loves to throw us a curveball when we think we've got something down. And you know what? That's okay. I was a Division I softball player, and I played double-A majors women's for years, traveled all over the world playing softball. And you know what? I still practiced. If I can apply that to a worldly skill, can I not apply that to my spiritual life? I've been out of that game for a while. Yeah, I could go back in and I could, I could play right now. Do you know how sore I would be? <sighs> I actually did that several years ago. I played ball for years, and then when I got pregnant with my second child, I literally finished the national tournament that year, and I took my cleats off, and I tied them together, and I walked over, and we did a ceremonial trash can deposit. Bam. I needed to make sure that I was done with the game, that I could walk away, and... There no be not be extra things that would drag me back in. About ten years down the road, three kids later, you know, I have these children, and I got called because someone was desperate for a player, and I'm like, you've got to be desperate if you're calling me. And that's probably not true, but but what happened was, is they called me up. It was a team called the Rage, and it was hysterical. I said, fine, I will play a doubleheader for you guys. I will do that. Just put me in the infield, I'll be, I'll be fine. So I ended up playing second base. Well, I ended up, I walked down the, um, the dugout, and it was really funny. The girls are sitting there, I go, I go, listen up. When I point to you, I need you to tell me your age. 
And they go, okay, great. And so I went down, and I literally, they would tell me your age, and I go, I could be your mom. 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 And it was quite entertaining. Let me tell you, it all came back. I felt good. I played good ball. I, I, we won. It was good. I didn't kill myself. It was great. But I can tell you, I was miserable for three days. I could hardly walk. I also knew that what had happened too is what was strong in me before was not near as strong. And so those were the places that hurt. So if we take those same kind of application, we put it into spiritual realm, we need to be practicing the things of God all the time. Don't think that you ever have arrived or become the master of something. He wants you practicing these things all the time. All the time. So let's move on. Let's say it moving and shaking. And I'm going to go back to that list. You know, David's life, what we thought was all going well, um, he was still having this ins insignificance thing, this unworthiness field. All these things came along. But guess what? We're not over with David yet. David, we come to the story of David and Goliath. Everyone knows that one, right? Do you realize that David was actually sent by his dad to go serve his brothers? He still wasn't known by his, even his own family who he was. He was basically sent out of the field to go take a Whataburger to his brothers on the battlefield. Right? So his words read like this, though. It's very funny. He actually uh, steps in, and if we uh, get into Samuel 17, 26, he talks about, David talks about uh, fighting the Philistine giant. So he sees the giant. He sees that the giant is harassing the army, and he's like, wait a minute. And I love, I think, even David still has the faith of a child. How many of you, wouldn't it be nice to have the faith of a child? It would be so good to not have to worry about your checkbook or how something got paid for, right? Or to just have the faith for something. I often say if I ever get sick, I want children to lay hands on me because they're just going to say, Jesus, make her better, right? It's not uncomplicated. We're not complicating anything. They just go straight to the heart of the Lord and they give the request. And so David, he's looking at that, that giant, and he goes, what's the deal? Now, we don't know exactly how old he is, but basically, I also want to tell you that because he had knit his heart so tight to the Lord, he actually was taking a defensive posture to his God. When's the last time you defended God? You'll defend him when you have a testimony. I'm going to tell you that. When you have a testimony that's so tight to your heart, that it takes your breath away, and it brings tears to your eyes because of a, something he's shifted in you, oh, you'll defend him. You'll defend him because it's real to you. And all that time he spent in that field, all that training, God was very real to David, and he defended he, his God. Nobody was going to stand in the way of the narrative. That was, you, you see what David saw? He saw, David as, or he saw Goliath as a barrier to the promise of God. You need to start looking at your mountains and your Goliaths in your life and see them as a barrier to the promises of God in your life. You see, the narrative that was being played out, all of a sudden, David's over here, he's supposed to be the king over here, and Goliath is standing right here. You come at me like a dog with a stick? Is that what he says, something like that? He's making fun of him. He is making fun of him. But David pushes back. Now, you realize that David also, literally, his brothers mocked him. When he said he wanted to fight him, his brothers mocked him. How many of you have been mocked by family, right? 
What's interesting, though, is the fear that the family had for David and what was going on was actually their junk, and they were projecting it on David. How many of you had people project their junk on you, right? Just move it out of the way. Take a breath and bless, right? Take a breath and bless them and move on, all right? David had to stay in a place of forgiveness. I wish I could get into his brain, right, and see how he did it. But I have a feeling that he would be saying the same thing I am in the sense that, oh, I was okay because I knew who I was. Because my papa told me. I had all that time with him. He didn't know Jesus, but I do, right? He knew the Trinity. He didn't know that part of the Trinity yet. He knew Father God. You and I have the glory of knowing all three. So moving on, the king hears David's questioning finally about it, and he invites him in, and he says, okay, fine, I'll let you go find him. So Saul says, do you know what Saul's words were? David says, I will fight him, and Saul looks at him, and the word of God says, he goes, don't be ridiculous. I said, my three-word version of that is major buzz kill, right? Trying to squash him down trying to squash his dream. David, David wasn't worried as much about Saul as he was about the timeline for Israel and that the good things of God were going to happen. And the, and the mountain of Goliath needed to go away. Everyone laughed. The story continues. Saul finally agrees to let him fight. And then Saul tries to put his uh, armor on him. And David, I can just see David standing there like, uh, eh, um, not quite used to this. That's not my style, right? How many of you have had a dream and someone trying tried to come and blanket and put their stuff on it to maybe mold it into their own, right? Instead, David takes it off. He says, this is not for me. I can't fight in this. This doesn't fit me. You are called to be you. When we start looking to each other and celebrating the uniqueness of people, you're going to see God break out in amazing ways. He's such a multidimensional God that he literally, there's not one person in this room that is the same as the other. And guess what? You're all gifted and talented in amazing ways. And if you don't know what your gift and talent is, then you need to get with somebody who will speak life into you. Because it's there. It has to be. You're created in his image. You are fabulous. And you have a role to play. David needed to be himself. And what he did is he went out and he picked up five stones. He picked up what he knew. He picked up what he was good at. What are you good at? Don't try to work outside your, your realm. You do not want me to be on stage singing with a guitar. I would run you out of here. Now, I sing great at home in the shower. I'll sing great in the back when the music's loud. And I will sing. Like, you'll hear me sing. But I don't think you want me mic'd up. But I can do other things. Do you know what I did the other day? We had a Draco come through. Have you ever heard of Draco? I had never heard. I am 53, soon to be 54. Lived in central Illinois all my life. 
I have never heard of a Duraco. And a Duraco is a type of storm that sweeps through, and it's so powerful. You guys have straight-line winds, right? So you know what that is. This is actually a storm front that is basically straight-line winds. And the storm front is like 100 miles long, and it's like several, 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 several miles wide. And so when it comes through, it just knocks things down. This storm came through, and guess what my husband and I did? We went and grabbed the chainsaws, and Jesus showed up with chainsaws. We went to the south end of Peoria, a, a place where we serve that is the second poorest zip code in Illinois. And we showed up in an old Dodge Ram pickup truck and a couple of chainsaws, and we picked up a pastor we knew, and we started cutting up debris for families who could not afford to get anybody out to do it. We worked in our, it's something I know how to do. I know how to speak up here too, but I also know how to do a lot of other things. And Jesus needs to come out in everything we do. Do you know we ended up taking the trees down in a lot of a drug addict? You know what Jesus told me? I love that guy. I said, I love him. And then somebody came out of his house, and we were chatting with him. He had had all kinds of AFib issues, and he was on disability. He couldn't work. Could, do you hear where that story could go and where my brain could go with that? You get my drift? But instead, the Lord goes, you can pray for him. And I said, yes! So we would go cut some limbs, and then I would come back into conversation. And then I would go cut some limbs, and I would come back into conversation. By the time I got back, I was able to, I literally, the Lord would release prophetic words, and I started speaking words of life into him. He spilled his guts. That's what happens when you walk into the presence. When you walk into someone who's carrying Jesus with them, you get so comfortable that you start saying things that you would never have told anyone, right? Have you ever experienced that? You're like, How did, why did I just spill my guts to that person? We experience it all the time in ministry, and we just kind of giggle. We go, oh, that's just the Lord, right? So he spills his guts about some things, and you know what? I said, can I lay a hand on you and pray for you? So we stood and we prayed for him, and guess what? His AFib stopped. Johnny on the spot. He goes, what's going on? He goes, I'm getting all hot. He goes, hey. That's Jesus. That's Jesus showing up with a chainsaw. Isn't that fun? It's fun being in this narrative. This narrative is fun. Get in this narrative. It's really, really fun. It's engaging. You don't know what you're going to run into. That's the exciting part of it. If you like adventure, get on board. So he's not going to tell you the, all the plans. He's not going to. That's because that's who he is. I think he gets just as excited about our excitement. Does that make sense? It's like a kid in a candy shop. What are we going to do today, Lord? Or what are you going to do? I love airports. You might not want to sit next to me or be with me in an airport. We love airport love. Because we just walk through. You never know who the Lord has assigned you for that day or assigned you many things that day. Look at your life as an adventure. When you get the baggage off, you can do that. Because you know what? You don't need a checklist anymore. It's the kingdom checklist that you're worried about. How can I bring the kingdom of heaven into wherever I go and whatever I do? David did it in the field. 
and he brought it into the battlefield with him. Back to those stones. You know, they're familiar stones. And I laughed and I said something to the effect. I was asking the Lord, I said, what's the deal with the stones? I go, five stones. Ooh, let's talk about that, Holy Spirit. And I said, what if they are the fivefold ministry? What if, do you think, think about it, is he going to hit Goliath with an apostolic anointing, an evangelistic message, a pastoral heart, a wise lesson from a teacher, or a prophetic word that David would be king and no giant would get in his way? Here's another list I would, I would tell you to tend as far as the stones. You think up about what David learned in the field, and he picked up the stones, and he had them in his hand. I'm going to tell you, he learned relationship above religion. He learned who he was in God's eyes. His identity was written on one of those stones. He knew humility, and he knew forgiveness. Because he had to walk it out. He also knew servanthood. And he had a teachable spirit. And last but not least, one of those stones had the king's crown on it. He had the prophetic vision. He knew who he was supposed to be. And he knew no giant could get in the way. He knew that stone could take that giant out. And he took him out. He took him out. So the story continues, it goes on, we know that David uh, takes down the giant, he actually takes the sword out, cuts his head off, that which you defeat becomes your testimony, goes on the platter. Sounds gruesome and gross, doesn't it? Sounds awful. But there are some things that you need to actually know that you defeated, that you can go back and go, look what God did. Look how God took that giant down in my life. Right? And he did that. So Saul got him into the army, thought he was doing all that, until David went out to battle one day, and he killed so many more than Saul. And when he came back in town, the girls were singing, la, la, la. And they were saying, Saul killed a 1,000, but David killed 10,000. And when Saul heard it, guess what the enemy did? He came in with jealousy, anger, bitterness, rage. And the story took a, the plot took a turn, didn't it? And all of a sudden, Saul was no longer the friendly king. He was out for David's life. Years went by, and David had to flee for his life. I've been to Israel, and I've seen the landscape of the caves where David hid. It was rugged. It's rugged now. It was ru very rugged then. What a life. Yet he knew that there was a kingship out there for him. He knew that there was something out there for him. Yet this is what he was called to in the moment, and he stood by, and he remained faithful. You know, he had the chance to kill Saul twice, and he didn't do it because that would dishonor his God. Finally, Saul dies a not-so-nice death. He actually lays on his own sword, his own spear. One of the brothers, one of his sons, actually comes into a kingship in part of uh, Israel. David becomes king of Judah. The story then continues on, and then finally, David becomes king of all of Israel. Now, he is, he is a well-known king who wins battle after battle, he is a protector. 
Um, he is well loved by people. And then the story changes. And this is where I want you to go to. Chapter 11, starting at verse 1. This is literally what the Lord wanted me to talk to you about today. And you're like, oh no, does that mean another hour? No, it doesn't. We're just summing it up. I was prepping you to hear this piece of it because in the spring of the year, the word of God says, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, the Israelite army, to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed that army and laid siege to the city. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Do you understand what is said in that? When kings normally go out to war, where was David supposed to be? He was supposed to be on the battlefield. He was supposed to be in the war, but instead he stayed home. The word then says late one afternoon after his midday rest, I like to take naps. It's not a bad thing. But David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And the story of adultery, murder, and betrayal are then birthed. You see, David wasn't supposed to be on the balcony. He wasn't supposed to be on that rooftop. He was supposed to be in the battlefield where the Lord called him. David didn't get released from his kingly responsibilities. He actually chose that for himself. And when he chose that, he chose to let the door of distraction crack open. And when that cracked open, he forgot who he was. When he gazed upon that woman, he forgot that he was an honorable, integrity-filled man of God who was always in process, right? You read the Psalms, and you can see it. Up and down he goes. It's like a chart, right? Everything's good, everything's bad. Everything's good, everything's bad. But you know what? We can relate, right? At least he was pouring his, out, his heart out to God. He was still in relationship during those psalms. And the God of the universe was listening. He always does. We are just like David because we're in process. And it's okay to be in process and on that battlefield. It was when he chose to step out of the game and onto the balcony or the rooftop that he got distracted and he kicked open a door. And that door, sin came in. Now, I'm not telling you that if you step off the battlefield or off of, off of things that you're going to fall into adultery. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is this is just an example of how you can get distracted. And how the enemy can come in and take what is going so well because you've chosen not to be where God has asked you to be. Selfish desires, addictions, depression, ungodly thought patterns, all kinds of things can enter in. Media, anxiety, you will be filled with it if you sit in front of your TV and watch the media. Go ahead and listen to those messages about politics and injustice. And I'll see you later, because you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm stepping in here, and I'm going to stay in this narrative. I'm going to stay in this narrative, and I'm going to stay in this word. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul states, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you by the laying on of hands. There is something in you 
that needs fanned back up and, and out. We need it. There's a fire burning, and it's a lot easier to keep a fire burning than to relight a fire that has burnt out. Correct? Yeah? Three applications. We're just about finished. And here's the challenge part. Here comes that number eight out of me. I'm going to make a challenge, and there's, there's three groups of people in here. And I want you to find yourself within which one this is and see what God wants to do. First, there's a group of people out here who have received a call, and you've not stepped out on the battlefield yet. You've actually received the call, and you're hanging out on the balcony of distraction. You're not understanding the power and the strength of the Lord to free you from the distractions or the baggage that you may be carrying. And you're not understanding this, this ridiculously anointed and beautiful narrative that he's inviting you into. Here's my number eight challenge for you. Get your stuff figured out. Stop making excuses. Step forward to, to what he's called you to do. Get the training. Get the freedom. Get what you need to do. It might not feel great, but do you remember what I talked about, about your identity and then knowing who God is as a loving God? Then he's able to build, you have this trust piece. You can trust him. You can trust him. He is trustworthy. Make no mistake, you were born into this generation of people for a reason. And God has a plan on your life that includes, again, I'm going to say it over and over, bringing heaven to earth now. Not 10 years from now. We need it now. We need it in the moment now. What are you waiting for? The body of Christ needs you. Again, you were born for such a time. This church champions your freedom. Nathan champions that for you. And he is, all, he is sold out to equipping you. He is not a keeper of people. You realize that? He says, come in those doors. We are going to love you well. We are going to free you up. We are going to equip you. And guess what? I bless the anointing on you. And if it means that you have to leave my church, he blesses it. He knows that he does not own this narrative. God does. And God has a call for you. Secondly, there's a second group of you in here that who have been on that battlefield. And you've been out there for years and you are choosing to sit on the balcony in the Zerb now. Here's a couple questions for you. Did God call you out of the battlefield? Or did you take control of that situation, maybe get some wounding, and reposition yourself? Or did you get tired and literally get wounded? I cannot tell you how many times our ministry team ministers to people who have been wounded by the church. We just ministered to uh, somebody that I know and I love deeply who had gotten so wounded by the church that she's been shut down for about 20 years. You know what the beautiful thing is of it is? Is that every time I saw her in that span of 20 years, I had the eyes of Jesus for her, and I would, like, 
go right at her. I can't even tell you. I would like go right at her. And sometimes she would like turn and go, oh, here it comes. Because I knew who she was. I knew the person that was in that shell. I knew the life that was in there. And she wasn't living out who she was. And it wasn't until she got some freedom from all that that she's now erupting with joy and seeing purpose again. Do not let the enemy do that to you. Why would, if you need a little competitive prayer over here, you just go to me and we're gonna, we're gonna, we'll go at it with him. You cannot let the enemy take your call just because a leader has wounded you. You get back up there, you get, you, you get back up there swinging. But here's the next one. You may have actually left the battlefield because you felt the anointing come off of you and you, have, you came back in because you weren't being productive. I'm going to tell you that happens. It's happened to me twice. But guess what? <laughs> There's another call waiting for you. Are you seeking that call? Anything short of that is counterfeit substitute for the enemy. He's putting you in a place of complacency. The Lord is not a complacent God. <laughs> the kingdom is not complacent. So don't let complacency sneak in. Look for the next call. He's got one for you. You might be in a place on the balcony where you need the rest. We bless that rest. But be seeking out his call and his next thing for you. And guess what? It's the number eight. Get your stuff together. <laughs> Get it figured out. We need you. We need you in the game. Athens, Texas needs you. They need you. They need the heart of Jesus on every street corner. They need it in every store. They need it in every school. We need it in every home, every community. We need it everywhere, right? And you get the awesome privilege of doing it. Lastly, there are some of you that don't feel like you have a call. And I'm going to tell you what. I, I'm going to repeat to you. I'm going to tell you the lies of the enemy. It's like I'm in your head right now. You're not enough. That's a lie. How about you're not gifted enough? I couldn't possibly do anything. What, what talents do I have? Or this one, if anyone knew my past, they would judge me and they certainly wouldn't let me serve. Well, that's a spirit of shame that needs to get kicked to the side. Because you are alive in Christ Jesus, right? Yeah, you're alive in Christ Jesus. Here's another one, and this is a really important one you listen to. I can, how can I ever catch up? I feel so far behind spiritually. Those are lies from the enemy. Do you see what he's doing? He's trying to keep you out of your narrative, out of moving along this timeline that God's invited you into. He's trying to hold you back. Well, here's the great surprise. There's so much in you. Think about it on the other side. He's actually going, there's so much in her and there's so much in him. I have got to hold this back. Why don't you start looking at yourself that way? Now I'm going to give you some scripture to seal that up because we know that the word of God has life on it and has power on it. So if you're believing those lies out of that third group, here you go. You are complete in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.10 tells you, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Do you understand? You go, I don't feel full. But do you understand you're on the timeline? You're here, and God sees you in your fullness here. He says, come on. 
this is how I see you. And instead, you're over here, and a lot of times we're looking behind. It's behind you for a reason. Leave it there. Don't let the enemy FedEx your baggage back up to you. Okay? Next, Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Taking that into consideration, you're pretty fabulous. You should probably repeat that verse in front of a mirror and see how it feels. And until it feels good and you can own it, because you are fabulous, you have to trust his masterful hand and his work in you. You are fabulous. Last verse for you, Romans 3.23, is a level, level playing field. As for your past, the playing field is level at the cross, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I say that we all need Jesus. He's an equal opportunity Savior. He leaves no one behind. No one. All right. I pray that something has resonated with your heart today. I, I pray that you have found yourself in this, in this narrative somewhere with David. I pray that you have figured out whether you're on the balcony or in the battlefield. And if you're on the balcony, what's going on in you? Because I, I need you out there. So my, my prayer for you is going to be this. We're actually going to stand and we're going to honor the Lord and we're going to stand right now. And I'm going to pray over you. Delaney's going to lead us in just a little bit of quiet background music. And I want you to just do some business with the Lord. You have a fabulous prayer team that actually um, will be up here ready to receive you. Do you realize even if you just need a blessing, you could come up? Do you know that if you have a, uh, it makes me want to cry, think about it. Do you know if you even have a father wound or a mother wound and you just need some healing and you need a, a dad to give you a hug? Go find one in this room. Let a man of God put his arms around you and tell you you are enough. Because you are. This is the body of Christ. You're meant to minister to each other and love each other well. If you see tears well up in someone's eyes and they're hurting, you need to go respond. Jesus responded. We have to learn to operate in that way. The world has trained you to avoid certain things. This is not the place to do that. Don't, don't avoid it. Love through it instead. So bow your heads with me. And Father God, we just come before you so thankful of what you do. We thank you that you have so preciously put together 
this book that we call the Bible, and you put us in, in, in so many places. We can actually see your heart for us. We can find strength and comfort. And we just thank you for that. There's so many layers to your word. It's incredible. So much encouragement. Lord, I just thank you for every heart that's in this room. I thank you for the call on their lives. I speak to that first group who have felt a call. They've felt a tug. It doesn't have to be a ministry thing. It's a tug to whatever is. We are called to bring actually the kingdom to the world. You are meant to bring the kingdom to the marketplace, people. Stop trying not to. It doesn't work out. So whatever that call is that you've been wrestling with and you've got distractions, Lord, we just bind up the distractions now in the name of Jesus. And we release the courage to step onto the battlefield and start doing what they're supposed to be doing. Lord, I thank you that you are a mentor and teacher in all things, that we still can be in process while we're in, in that battlefield, while we're moving towards what you want us to be and what you want us to do. Lord, you have permission to even change the plans on us when you need to. We'll submit. We'll submit. And I speak to that second group, that second group that's been wounded, that's taken time off, that said, I'm done with that. We just say no to that. Lord, I pray for the courage that they would get the healing they need, that they would extend the forgiveness that needs to be forgiven, those things that need to be forgiven, and Lord, that they would just find the courage to step back in the arena in the fullness of what you have. Lord, I pray that they will actually, they have the keys to setting other people free. They have actually battleground experience that needs to be shared. Lord, would you just increase the knowledge of their very own wisdom in the things of God? of you. We need leaders. We need mentors. We need them. Let no distraction get in their way, Lord. Nothing. And then, Lord, I speak to that third group that isn't quite sure what they're supposed to do. They don't feel like they've had a call. They've been listening to the enemy for too long. They keep thinking that they're not enough. I speak directly to that group, and I break that lie off of you right now in the name of Jesus. And if that was you, I tell you to actually crush that sucker underneath your foot. Just stomp your foot. Just stomp it and grind it in the ground and say no more. I'm going to believe about what God says about me, and I am ready to receive what he has for me. I want to be in the narrative. I want to be a part of bringing the kingdom to earth. Just give me my assignment, Lord. And I know I will say, I promise, I, Lord, I will stay teachable. I might not know exactly how to do it. I will remain teachable and I will submit to you and I will submit to the process. Lord, we bless that and we thank you. And now I just want to pray Hebrews 12 over you again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight, everyone that slows us down, 
especially the sin that can so easily trip us up and let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us, let us run through this narrative and let us do so by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion and perfecter of our faith. And in the name of Jesus, all God's children said, Amen.